Let me ask you this question. Are you an optimist or a, pass, or a pessimist? Do you see, I'll ask it the classic way. Do you see the glass half full or do you see the glass half empty? If someone was to categorize you as either an optimist or a pessimist, which one would you fall into? Now, I'm going to be real vulnerable and honest with you here. The people that know me best will tell you that I tend to be more on the pessimistic side. And I know you're saying, listen, you're a pastor, you're supposed to be, everything's supposed to be like flowers blooming and everything looks great all the time, but that's just how I'm wired. I I tend to live by the motto that if you keep your expectations low, you'll never be disappointed. That's just how I live, right? And I'm not saying which one is right or wrong, but I would probably fall into one of those two categories. You tend to be a more optimistic person or you tend to be a more pessimistic person. I remember uh, when I was in uh, seminary, our president of the seminary was a guy by the name of Dr. Walter Kaiser. Uh, He told a story one time in chapel. He told the story of two twin boys. And parents had twin boys, and the boys started to grow up. And as they got into elementary school, they were still young. They looked exactly the same, but they had very different personalities. In fact, one of the boys was an eternal optimist, always seeing the good in things. And his parents worried that even though it was a good thing that he had so much joy, his parents worried uh, that, you know, his head was in the clouds and he never dealt with reality. The other son was forever a pessimist. And the parents were equally worried about him because he dealt with too much reality. And he always saw the, thing, the negative things and things, and he wished, they wished that he had a more positive outlook. So they took their twin boys uh, to see a psychologist, and they sat down and they said, here's the deal. They look exactly the same, but they're very different. One, this one, he's an eternal optimist, and this one, he's, uh, he's always pessimistic. And the psychologist said, I have an idea. So he took the boy who was an eternal pessimist, and he put him in a room with nothing but just a pony. What kid wouldn't love to be alone with a pony? And he left him in that room, and then he took the one who was the eternal optimist, and to try to help him get some realism inside of him, he put him in a room that was filled with nothing but a giant pile of manure. And he left him there, and he walked away, and he left him there for a few hours, and he came back, and he opened up the door that had the child that was a pessimist, and he said, how are you doing? Are you having a good time with the pony? And the child looked at him and said, this is the worst day I've ever had. He said, this animal smells, it's ugly, and I'm afraid at any moment it's going to step on my foot. So the psychologist kind of rolled his eyes and he closed the door and he went and opened up the door that had the child who was the eternal optimist. And he couldn't believe what he saw. This kid was smiling, digging through the pile of manure covered from head to toe. And he said, what are you doing? What on earth is going on here? And the child looked at the psychologist and said, I know that with all this manure in this room, there's a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) I don't know if you're an optimist or a pessimist, but here's what I wonder sometimes. You know, I think a lot of people look at those of us who call ourselves Christians and those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, and they look at us just the way we would look at that kid in the second room. That we're just kind of hopeless, eternal optimists that are believing in something that probably doesn't exist in spite of the reality that surrounds us. 
I think a lot of people look at those who would call themselves Christians and they would say, you say that you serve this God who is good and who is love and who does all of these things, but look at the reality of the world that we live in. If you look at the reality of the world that we live in and you look at, at who you say God is, uh, then to continue to believe in that God would mean that you're just kind of this, this uh, you know, kind of lunatic optimist who's just believing in something despite all the evidence that's in front of you. You're just hoping that if you did dig through all this stuff long enough that eventually you'll discover that, that by some chance this God does exist who we say that we believe in. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I think that for many of us who follow God, there are times in our lives where we wonder if that's true about ourselves. Are we committing our lives and believing in something that is real? Or are we just kind of these hopeless optimists who are hoping beyond everything that's in front of us that this does exist. And this God that we talk about is actually there. I think those questions arise most often when our experience in this world seems to contradict the beliefs that we hold about God. So people have told us things about who God is. We've read things in God's word about who God is. We listened to the sermon. We read the book. We sang the song. All these things about who God is. But sometimes in life we have experiences that seem to contradict all of those things that we read and we sang and we were told. And I think it's at those times when experience seems to contradict knowledge that we come up with these questions. Is this real? Is what I've been told about God real? Or am I just hoping that this whole thing exists and it's just this, this way to distract myself from reality while I'm here? Well, this morning, the verses that we're going to get into in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, and verses that we're going to look at in the book of Romans, Paul takes really just one piece of our relationship with God. And it's a piece that we can often wonder if it's true because of the things that we experience in this world. And Paul talks to us about what that truth is, what that thing is about God that we're told is true. He talks about what that experience is that we have that causes us to question if that's true. And then he gives us some thoughts on what we do about that. Normally what we would do is we'd read the entire passage together and then we'd talk about it for a little bit. This morning we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to work through it a few verses at a time and walk through this section of verses together. The screen says 831 through 39. Those are the main verses we're going to be looking at. But I'm actually going to start back a couple verses earlier at some of the, at, at, uh, some of the verses that we actually read last week. Because in order to understand what Paul's saying in 31 through 39, we have to review a couple of verses before. So what Paul does in these sections of verses is he starts out with something that we can know is true about God. It's a very basic truth about God. Something that if you grew up in church world, you sang about from the time you were in preschool class. And this is what he says. He starts in verse 28. This is what Paul says we know about God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul says, here's what we can know about God. For those of us who are called according to his purposes, God works out all things together for good. And then Paul, very briefly, talks about God's grand plan for each and every one of us who choose to follow him. And he does that by using five different words. And these are the words that Paul uses. And we'll talk just briefly about what he means by this whole progression. Paul says, God's working out everything towards good. And here's how it works. For those God foreknew, he says, and what does he mean by foreknew? Well, what Paul is is saying there is he's saying that God has loved us long before we existed on this earth. That long before we were born and 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 long before, uh, you know, our parents loved us or anyone else loved us, God knew us and he loved us. So those God foreknew, those he loved, who's us, he also predestined. He also has a plan for our life, Paul's saying. So God has always loved us, and he has a plan for our life to become conformed to the likeness of his son, to become more like Christ, Paul says. So for those he foreknew, he also predestined, and those he predestined, he also called is the next word that Paul uses. And what does that mean? That means that God actually has reached out to us by his spirit and speaks to us. So he loved us. He's got a plan for us. And when we're on this earth, God reaches out to us by his spirit and calls us. For new, predestined, called, and someone who has your Bible open, what's the next word? What's the fourth word? justified. He foreknew us, predestined us, called us, and he justified us. That means when we hear that call, when we hear the Holy Spirit move, and we respond to that, and we put our trust in Christ, God legally declares us righteous. That's what that term means, justified. That God in a moment, when we put our trust in Christ, and we've talked about this quite a bit as we've gone through the book of Romans. We won't spend too much time on it this morning. That we are legally declared righteous in God's eyes. So we go from being sinners and apart from God, to being saved is the word that we would use, and with God, back in relationship with God in a moment. And those he justified, he also what? Glorified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And now that piece of the story is the piece that hasn't fully happened yet. Well, Paul says, here's, this, here's the way that God works out all things together for good. He loved you a long time ago. He has a plan for your life. He calls you, when you respond to that call, he declares you righteous, and eventually you will be spending eternity in heaven with him, and everything will be made right. No more tears, no more death, no more sickness. The old order has passed away, if you're familiar with those verses in Revelation 21. That eventually God's going to fix everything, and redeem and restore everything. And that glorified peace hasn't happened yet. And this is the plan that Paul says God has. I mean, the way that this would be communicated in many sermons or in many books or, or if you watch someone on television is they would say something like, God loves you and has a great plan for your life. That's how this would be communicated. God loves you and has a great plan for your life. That's the truth that Paul is giving us. He said, here's what you can know. God loves you and has a great plan for you. He knew you, he predestined you, he justified you, he called you. He called you, he justified you, and will glorify you. 
And then Paul says in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Well, what are these things? Well, these things is the whole deal we just talked about. What shall we say to this whole big plan that God has and the fact that he's working out all things together for good? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So this is what Paul tells us. Here's what you can know about God. God loves you. God loves you before you were even born, has a plan for your life, has called you. You'll spend eternity with him if you follow him. And so what shall we say about all that? If God's for us, who can be against us? That's what Paul tells us we can know. Now, that's the knowledge piece. But what about the experience piece? That's what we know to be true about God. But sometimes we experience things in this life that make us look back at the knowledge piece and wonder if it's true. This is how Paul puts it in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now think about the people that Paul is writing to. Uh, this is first century church, A.D. Uh, they, Christians were not really accepted too well by either the Roman Empire or uh, the Jewish folks. And so if you put your trust in Christ... Um, it was a reality that your life was in danger. And so Paul brings up the fact that we know that God loves us and has a great plan for our life, but the reality of our life is that life is difficult and that life is hard. And the reality of that first century church is that they're being killed and persecuted for their faith. So God loves them and has a great plan for their life, but if they follow him, they'll probably die. How do those two things go together? And think about it today in our world. We face much the same conflict. God loves me and has a great plan for my life, but here's the reality that I face. My life ends up being a battle sometimes with my own thoughts, with my own search for significance, with my own search for purpose, with my own search to end injustice or inequality or find some sort of good use for my life on this earth. My life uh, consists of looking online at social media profiles and wondering why everybody's life is better than mine. That's a real thing that happens to a lot of us each and every day. We struggle with loneliness and we struggle with depression and we struggle with sickness. And I know that as I even look around this room, this isn't a massive crowd, but if we went person by person and talked about each and everything that we face in our lives and is going on in our family, it would be unbelievable the list of things that we're dealing with, from financial problems to health problems to family reconciliation problems to problems in our job to wondering what the next step is in our life, just to a feeling of, of lostness and purpose 
restlessness and depression and loneliness. All of those things exist just in this room. Consider Christians across the globe and everything that is being faced with Christians being killed and persecuted for their faith. And sometimes when we experience all of these things and life is hard, we have a challenge. We experience this thing that conflicts with what we've been told is true. And so now we have to ask ourselves the question, is what I was told about God actually true? Because my experience says something else. I thought that if this was true, then I never would have experienced this pain and this heartache and this difficulty and this challenge. So how is it that my life can be this way or even today can be so hard if that piece is actually true? It's just like when I said earlier when we opened up the, the service. It's like when you read online great reviews about a restaurant. I remember one Saturday morning, this was a number of years ago, I was watching uh, what I think is must-see TV on a Saturday morning, and that is the Phantom Gourmet. And you maybe have seen the Phantom Gourmet. They tell you all the good restaurants in, your, in, in the Boston area. And so a restaurant appeared on the screen. The food looked unbelievable. They told me the food was unbelievable. And it just happened to be very close to where we were living at the time. And so I said to my wife, I said, we really need to go try this place out. It's just down the street, and uh, according to the television, it's fantastic. And so a couple of weeks later, my wife and I, and per usual, her entire family, gathered together at, at the restaurant, right? Gathered together at, at the restaurant. And I knew from the moment I walked in that we got scammed. It just wasn't as good as I had thought it was going to be based on the television. And so the food wasn't as good as I had hoped, and and the layout of the restaurant was kind of awkward, and it just wasn't the experience that I had hoped that I would have. And so what I had to do then is go back and reevaluate my knowledge and say, you know what, I think what I was told about this place isn't exactly true. And on a much more significant level, I think that happens in our relationship with God. We are told things about God, and then we experience things in life, and we walk through things that are difficult, and then we go back and we say, well, maybe what I was told about God wasn't true. And maybe I need to readjust my belief. Maybe God doesn't love me and have a great plan for my life the way that my grandmother told me he did, or the way that the preacher told me he did, or the way that the song told me he did, or the way that the book told me he did. Maybe God doesn't have that plan the way I thought he did because I was told that I could believe that God loves me and has a great plan for my life. But the reality of my day-to-day life tells me something different. And Paul, in these final verses, gives us an answer as to how we should view all these things. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, listen, I'm really struggling in my walk with God because I believed that this was true. And I'm walking through something right now that's totally different or feels totally different than what I was told, that God loves me. 
I feel like God's love is a million miles away right now because of what I'm walking through. And I'm wondering if maybe I need to go back and adjust my knowledge. Maybe God's not who I thought he was. Maybe his love isn't as real as I thought it was. And maybe some of you are in this room this morning and you're saying to yourself, yeah, this is why I've never believed. This is why I've never believed. It's because I hear this about God being love but yet I experienced something different in my life. Well, here's what Paul says to us. Paul says to us, it's not our knowledge that needs to change about who God is and God's love and God's plan for us. It's our perspective on our experience that needs to change. It's not our knowledge that's a problem. It's our perspective on our experience that needs to adjust. Perspective changes everything, doesn't it? Think with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment. Let's say that you are at Logan Airport and you're about to catch a flight. You're all by yourself. You're flying by yourself. You're going to visit family. You're going on a business trip. Wherever you want to go. You can, you can be going to Hawaii. I don't, I don't care. Wherever you want to go today in this story, you can make that up. But you get to the airport and you walk up to your gate and you look at that screen and you see the red numbers and you go, oh, no. And there it is, delayed, an hour and 30 minutes. And so you figure out how you're going to pass the time. And you walk over to one of those little carts, and there's a cart there that has some snacks and things, and then there's a few little tables sitting out in front of the cart. And so you buy yourself a cup of coffee, and you buy a newspaper, and you buy a little package of crackers, one of those packages that has six crackers in it. They could be peanut butter, cheese, whichever you want. You buy one of those little packages of crackers. And you look at the tables, and, and there's people sitting at every table, but there's one open chair. On the other side of the table, there's a, ma- a businessman sitting there, and he's waiting for his flight too. And you say to him, do you mind if I just sit in this chair while I'm waiting for my flight? He says, no, no problem. He's on his phone. He's looking at his emails. So you sit down. You put your crackers down. You put your newspaper down. You pick up your coffee, and you're just kind of people watching. And all of a sudden, this guy looks up from his phone, grabs the package of crackers, opens it, and eats one. And you're looking at him like, is this guy crazy? What is he doing? And you don't want to say anything. You don't want to make a scene in an airport. No one wants to make a scene in an airport, right? And so you don't want to say anything. But this guy has just opened up your package of crackers and eaten one. And so you look at him and kind of, you know, stare at him. And he's just staring at his phone like nothing happened. And you kind of noisily open up the package a little bit more, grab a cracker, and crunch on it just to let him know that he has violated your package of crackers. These are your crackers. And he sits there on his phone for a couple more minutes. And then he just very casually reaches into that same package of crackers and takes another one. And you think to yourself, what is wrong with this guy? This guy is insane. And so you take the next one. And he's looking on his phone and he takes the next one. And you're baffled by this. And so you finally grab the last cracker. You crumple up the plastic noisily. And you just kind of sit there looking at him. But he's just looking at his phone. And a couple minutes later, he gets up, and he looks at you very puzzled-like, and walks away. And you think to yourself, what is the deal with that guy? 
that he would reach up and eat these. In fact, he was the one that opened the package of crackers. What is wrong with him? And pretty soon it's time for your flight. And so you grab your cup of coffee and you pick up your newspaper and you see right there under your newspaper your unopened package of crackers. Who's the crazy person now? Right? Perspective changes everything. And Paul says it's not our knowledge about God that needs to change, it's our perspective. Here's what Paul says about the fact that God loves us and has a great plan for our life, but our experience can suggest otherwise. This is what he says in verse 37. In, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am positive, your Bible might say, I am convinced, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we say to Paul, Paul, how can you be so sure? How can you be so sure when we hear that God is love and he loves us and has a great plan for us, but life sometimes suggests otherwise? How can you be so sure that in all of those things, we are more than conquerors? And Paul would tell us because he has the correct perspective. You see, what we often do is we often take our experiences in this world and we use them as the lens through which we look back at God. But what Paul says we should do is because God operates in eternity and not in the temporal bonds of this world is that we should take our knowledge of God and use that as the lens through which we view our experience. And when we use our knowledge of who God is as the lens in which we view our experience, we remember that God exists outside of this earth, that God exists outside of time, that he loved you in eternity and he will love you in eternity. And there's nothing that can happen in this world that changes that reality. And so it doesn't matter what happens, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor height, nor depth, no anything can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I had really the honor of officiating a graveside funeral service for Bill Plummer. Some of you may not know who Bill is. But Bill's house is that one right there. Bill bought that house in 1947 and lived there ever since. One of the things that's amazing when I, to me, when I talked about Bill's life and learned more about him, I met Bill a couple of times. And I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to be with him the night before he passed away and to pray with him. As I thought about Bill's life, one thing that just strikes me is, is we don't live the way those generations lived anymore. They're so steady and just do things long term. And we're so short term. Bill lived almost 96 years. He was born in July 1920. Served this country in World War II, came back, worked for the town of Belmont for over 40 years. 
lived in that house since 1947. When he came back from uh, World War II, he got a job as a soda jerk at Corbett's Drugstore, which was right here in Waverly Square, this square that's closest to this church. And there was a young woman who would come and pretend like her father was going to come pick her up, but really her dad wasn't coming at all. And she would pretend like she had to wait at the soda fountain just because she wanted to talk to the soda jerk. And so Esther, her name was, would hang out and talk to Bill, and she would later say uh, that she knew Bill was going to be her husband long before Bill knew that he was going to be her husband. And Bill and Esther, Esther passed away three years ago, were married for 67 years. And two weeks ago, Bill passed away. And based on everything I know about Bill, my conversation with him, I think he's with the Lord today. Now, here's the reality. Tuesday, we stood at a cemetery, and we talked a lot about dates. Born in July 1920, passed away, born in August 1920, passed away in July 2016. And from our perspective, that's how we view all of our experience, is just between those two dates. From the day we're born till the day we die. And everything that happens within those two dates is our reality, is the way that we view things. And what Paul reminds us of is God loved Bill way before August of 1920. God loved Bill long before he was born into this earth. And now he is with God in eternity. And God's love is going to be experienced by him for all all time. And what happened between 1920 and 2016, it's not unimportant, but in light of eternity, it's such a small peace and nothing that happened in this earth in Bill's close to 96 years could undo the fact that God loves him and did love him in all eternity and will love him in all eternity. And nothing that happens in this world can change it about your life as well. That God loved you for eternity and will love you for eternity if you would choose to follow him. And that knowledge becomes the lens by which we see through things. So here's what I want you to hear today, and here's what I believe God is saying to us today. Are you worried today in this place? I want you to know that God loves you. Are you depressed today? God loves you. Are you battling a diagnosis today? God loves you. Are you wondering today if your life has significance and purpose? Are you sick and tired of looking at everybody else and thinking that their life is better? I want you to know that God loves you today. No matter how you walk into this place, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what's happening, you have not been separated from the God who loves you. He still loves you, and he still has a great plan and purpose for your life. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And I'd invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to think about this for a couple of moments. I don't know what it is in your life that you might experience that might cause you to question whether or not God's love is real and whether or not God is close to you. But listen... There isn't a person in this room who follows Jesus, including myself, that hasn't wondered from time to time if God really loves us the way he says he does.
I want you to know this morning there's nothing on this earth that can change the unchangeable truth about God. That God has always been love and that God always will be love. That God has a great plan for you and God always will have a great plan for your life. That he has known you and he has a plan for you and he has called you. And if you believe, he has justified you. And one day he will glorify you as you spend eternity with him. And there's nothing that can happen in this world that can change that unchanging and eternal reality. Maybe you're here today and you've been looking at your experience and you've been using that as the lens by which you understand God. And today, what God is asking you is would you turn the other way and know that I love you and see the challenges of this world and the difficulties of, what they, of this world for what they are as temporary. And know that God is still working in spite of them, that God is still working in the midst of those difficulties. My prayer is that we would all be encouraged today to know that God's love is real and to know that it is close. That there is nothing that can change the reality that God loves you and cares for you. And the only question is, will you love him back? God loves you, he always has. And if you follow him, he always will. But the question is, will you love him back and will you serve him? Will you accept the love that came when he sent his son to die on this cross, to come to this earth and die on the cross? Will you give him your life and say, God, in spite of the challenges of this world, I know that you're the God who never changes, that you're the God who loves, that you're the God that has a plan for me. We're going to spend the last few moments of this service singing about our God and worshiping him. And I'd encourage you this morning to take a few moments in your own heart, in your own mind with God, just letting him speak to you and reminding you how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. We're going to have a couple folks up front, myself and my wife, Lori, are going to be up front. Justin and Alain will be up front. We'd like to pray with you. If there's anything you would like us to pray for, we're up front to pray with you. If you'd like to come up front and spend time kneeling in God's presence, just you and him, you're welcome to do that as well. But may we all take this time to be reminded of God's great love for us. God, we thank you that you are love. We thank you that you are good. And we thank you that there's no amount of injustice or inequality or anything in this world that can change that reality. And God, there are things that happen in all of our lives that cause us to wonder and cause us to question and cause us to, to reevaluate our knowledge of you. But thank you for the reminder today by your spirit that there is nothing that can change the truth, that you are the God that has existed for eternity and will exist for eternity. And your love has existed from eternity and will exist unto eternity. And there is nothing that can happen in this small temporal temporary place that can change that truth we claim it today we believe it today we ask that your spirit would move in these final moments in jesus name amen